Jesus, we thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Lord, when we hated you and we deserve nothing like that, God, we, um, we don't deserve to be here. We don't deserve to have peace with God and forgiveness of our sins. But Lord, you graciously and fully offer us everything that we could ever need uh, spiritually and, and even physically in this life. Lord, you take care of us and guide us and protect us. Uh, but Lord God, our, our hearts, Lord, we love you. And we, we pray that you would stir us and you would cause us to see you in a different way than we've ever seen you before. Uh, maybe even to feel you in a different way than we've felt you before. Um, because God, your, your, your reality is deeper than what we can see and touch and sense with our five senses. God, there's a deeper level to you. And God, I pray that that would be opened up to us today. And we pray for a, a pouring out of your Holy Spirit and of your grace. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, when I hear the term, have you, or why are you breaking my heart? I think of Princess Amidala and Anakin. If you've ever seen Star Wars, she's like, Annie, why are you breaking my heart? When he's becoming Darth Vader. And it's a, uh, it's a sad scene because you just see the, the, the pain in her, in her eyes. So there's your Star Wars quote for the day. But the, so if I were to ask you, have you ever had a broken heart? I'm sure... 99% of you would say, yes, I have had a broken heart. I have struggled with that. And so I asked Yahoo questions the same thing. I do this sometimes and say, like, I look at the questions on there and see just what people out there in the world are going through and what they're thinking. So the Yahoo question was, what does a broken heart feel like? What does a broken heart feel like? And this all has a purpose, and the purpose is, is that I want us to understand that God has an emotional attachment to you, that he loves you and he cares about you, and that we can break his heart. So with that being said, Yahoo questions this young lady asked, what does a broken heart feel like? And, uh, and superhero Steve was the first guy to write a response. I guess you can name yourself when you respond to these things. And he says, it kind of feels like you got punched in the stomach by Chuck Norris. And, and crying uncontrollably is the result. So, that's funny. The hairy Wolverine is the next guy. He put it uh, like this. It feels like your heart is getting ripped out and stomped on, and then someone is trying to pry open your chest and put it back. It makes your stomach hurt like it's nauseous. You feel like life isn't worth living anymore, but you know you can't die just in case that person wants you back. I thought that was interesting. And then this one is by Clueless23. And uh, there's actually quite thorough here. It says, it is the loneliest and most desperate feeling like nothing I've ever experienced before. It is not being able to stop crying and knowing that even when you do stop, the pain of loss is still there and nothing has changed. It is wishing you were anywhere but where you are and anyone but who you are. It is disbelief that you could go from happy and secure to alone and left behind in one second. It is confusion and a head full of questions but no one to answer them truthfully. It is all those 
plans and dreams made together gone. It is indescribably awful, and no amount of kind words can lift you out of your grief. It is the finality of it all and the fact that you have no say. It is having to carry on working, doing the day-to-day essential chores and feeling totally separated from your life. It is exhausting, and it will take time it ta- and it will take the time it takes for you to recover and be strong enough to trust and to take a chance on someone else again. Well, that was quite dismal. And as I read that, though, I, I, I identified with it because I, I remember the moment my heart broke at a time in my life. I remember being on a computer and I remember seeing um, that my, my previous wife was having an affair and, and finding out about it. And just the, the way I literally keeled over in pain and nauseousness. And, and I can't get into my entire testimony today. And I will someday. I'll, I'll, I'll share it with you guys. But suffice it, suffice it to say, heartbreak is horrific. It's It's terrible. And today, our message centers around one verse, which says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. There's some synonyms for grieve I looked up, and one is agonize, anguish, bleed, hurt, mourn, sorrow, suffer, to eat one's heart out, or to tear one's hair. And so if you could summarize our message today, it would be, don't tear out the heart of the Holy Spirit. Don't break his heart because you and I get to experience heartbreak. And I believe firmly, actually, that the number one reason that I went through the heartbreak that I went through, the reason why God allowed me to feel such horrific pain, was so that I could have a deeper understanding of this verse. I I believe it with all my heart. So I'm, I'm up here telling you today and teaching you about this verse, not, not out of something I've read in a book, but something I, I truly identify. And I think you guys do too. I think you guys can all identify because if I, if I were to allow the time for you guys to come up here and share about your heartbreaking stories, I bet they would be worse than mine. I bet there's been death and I bet there's been betrayal and I bet there's all kinds of things And today I want us to take those things and remember the feelings and then attribute that to the Holy Spirit and what we do to him when we're unfaithful and when we decide to not love him. I want us to to take those things and understand that God allows us to feel those things so that we can know how he feels about me. He invented these feelings. He invented this hurt. And it's for a purpose. It's so that we can have something called the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. It's through this pain that we understand the love of God, the great passion that he has for you and for me. And without any of this pain, we would have no clue how much he loves us. We would literally be surface and shallow people. But to the extent that we suffer and we attribute that to Christ and we we see him in it, we seek him in it, 
that suffering begins to have a great purpose in our life. So we're going to learn today that we grieve the Holy Spirit in seven ways. Number one, by living like the world. It grieves him, breaks his heart. By lying. By being angry. Number four, by stealing. Number five, by cursing. Number six, by being bitter. And number seven, by being unforgiving. That's living like the world, lying, being angry, stealing, cursing, being bitter, and being unforgiving. When you decide to love someone, and I'm sure you guys can attest to this too, you're putting yourself at risk because they might just hurt you. They might break your heart. But the Holy Spirit, see, he commits to us. He decides, I'm going to love you. He commits to us knowing that we're going to hurt him. He knows we're going to hurt him, but he loves us anyway. And this amazing love cannot be understood, but it can be experienced. How can he put himself out there like that? Because he's not insulated from the pain of relationship. We often, we often think of God as far away with a big beard that somehow insulates him from emotional pain. Beards do not. I wish they did, but they don't. But the truth is, the fact is that he feels a thousand times more intense anything that you've ever felt in your life. God feels pain. Spurgeon said, and this, just to warn you, this is the first of three quotes from Spurgeon today. He had a really good study. So anyway, three quotes. Number one, the Holy Spirit's grief is not a petty, oversensitive nature. He is grieved with us mainly for our own sakes, for he knows what misery sin will cost us. He reads our sorrows in our sin. He grieves over us because he sees how much chastisement we incur and how much communion we lose. Those lists of seven things, the living like the world and lying and being angry, stealing, cursing, bitterness and unforgiveness, the Holy Spirit's not just like, you broke my rules. So I'm mad. No, he says, you just caused, cost yourself so much by choosing to walk in that way. And I grieve for you. He cares more about you than you care about yourself. That's the truth of the matter. So let's begin in verse 25 of chapter 4 and read about the Holy Spirit's heart that has been entrusted to us. When someone says, I love you, and I'm going to marry you, and they put on the ring, they make that commitment, you're entrusted with their heart, and the Holy Spirit, God says, is his wedding ring. It's his seal to us. And so he says, I'm in this with you. So we've been entrusted with his heart. Verse 25, therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are all members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who is in, has need. Let no corrupt word proceed from your mouth, but what is good and necessary for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. 
And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That's our central verse. Verse 31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And I will reiterate, we are not getting here a list of things that God says, do this or else. That is not how the new covenant works. That is not how grace works. Because as a believer in Christ, you can do these things. You can be angry. No doubt. You can lie. And guess what? You're even forgiven. You will be forgiven. There is no doubt you will be forgiven. But hear me. There will be consequences. You don't lose your salvation because you choose to walk in this or you choose to walk in your flesh or like we talked about last week, let the old man come and rear his ugly head. But you will have consequences. And the greatest consequence, the consequence that Paul is sharing with us today that's so vital, the greatest consequence is not one you have to pay. It's the Holy Spirit's heart breaks. And that should be our motivation for walking a godly life. It is not that the church says you should do this and the pastor gave me a rule and then gave me the stink eye after he said the rule because he knows I do that all the time. It is not it. It is that the Holy Spirit's heart loves you so passionately and his heart breaks over these things. So Paul, he's not adding a trip to your life. He's adding the depth of relationship that's truly amazing. So the first one there, he said, put away lying. Let each of you speak truth with his neighbor, for you're all members of one another. A body that lies to itself ends up getting hurt. And that's exactly actually what happens with leprosy. And we don't see leprosy happening all the time in our world. It's not too common to see someone with their arm falling off walking down the street. It would be quite Horrific to see that. But it was actually common back in this day. And leprosy is a disease where your nerves stop communicating pain to your brain. And so you can just be sitting there and a car could run over your foot and you don't even notice. And your foot's all mangled and broken and bloody. And you're just like, no, I'm fine. I'm cool. I don't even feel the pain. See, this is where... This is where people have a double standard because all the time in this world, people are like, pain is bad. I don't want to have to go through anything uncomfortable. I especially don't want to have to repent for my sins. That's so, ah, why would God want to hurt me like that? But, but when they put their hand on a stove, they're pretty glad for pain because it warned them of further damage. But see, when we in the church, when we lie to each other, we're like a, a body that has leprosy. And so maybe your marriage is just going down the toilet right now. Maybe you are having the roughest time and you don't know how to fix it. And it's like you're just sitting in a pot of boiling water all the time. But you come to church and you look people in the eye and they say, how you doing? And you're like, fine, 
fine. Or you go to your community group and you're just like, you know, they say, okay, it's time for a prayer request and let's really connect with each other and let's pray for each other. What can we pray for you guys? And you guys are like, nothing. We're fine. And it's a lie. And you know what happens is we could assist you We could come to you and we could come alongside you and help you and pray for you and give you wisdom from the word, but but you're just going to let that that disease rip you off instead of letting the body and the gifts in the body assist you. And that's what he's talking about here. Why would you lie if you're members of one another? And when the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, sees his body lying to itself, he grieves, it rips him apart because he desires truth. He desires that healing to come. But it can't come when we lie. And trust me, we can help your marriage. If you're going through something, please email or call. And if it's not me, call another church that you know is into the Bible. If If you're just embarrassed to come to me, fine, I'm cool with that. But we can help. Honestly, the Bible's truths are, are, are amazing and they just, they bring grace and they bring healing and the Holy Spirit desires that to come. You know, Pinocchio was a lucky guy. He, he had this big, the biggest nose, you know, when he would lie, he would just, he had this big outward sign that he was lying and it, and it would, it was a, a help to him because it kept him from just living a life of a lie. You know, we also have physical consequences of lying, but it's chemical. And if you actually get into um, the the neuroscience of it all, when we lie, it actually releases chemicals that cause your brain to stress out. And that's how lie detectors work. They They can detect the higher levels of stress when you lie. And if you live a life of consistent lies, it causes brain damage. These, these toxins from the stress causes your brain to not perform as healthy and as efficiently as it could. And it's sad. So we have these physical consequences, and no one sees them in the short term. I mean, you can get away with any lie you want in the short term, but in the long term, you will reap what you sow. And the Holy Spirit, he sees how we're becoming stressed out and burned out and a prisoner to these lies and he grieves. He mourns for us. We should be the ones mourning, but instead he mourns for us. The Spirit urges us and he begs us to just tell the truth. If you're having a rough time, tell the truth. Say, I'm having a rough time and I'd like prayer. And you can come and pray with us because that's a, it's so awesome to be prayed for. I love being prayed for. Sometimes when our prayer meeting at 8 o'clock in the morning on Sundays, which I highly encourage you all to come to, sometimes they'll, they'll come and they'll pray for Pastor Stan, and they, they'll put their hands on me and they'll pray for me, and it's seriously amazing. Like, I know, I just, it's wonderful to be prayed for. Then he says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Letting your anger get the best of you breaks the Spirit's heart. You can get angry, you can be mad, but there's a spiritual time limit you need to impose on your anger so it does not take root and infect your heart. That's why. 
God understands that there's things that make you mad. There's no problem with that. But he gives us a very clear instruction that if you get mad, if you get angry, put a time limit on it. Cap it off because it it will infect your heart and it will grow little handlebars in your heart for Satan to hang on to. It says it gives place to the devil. These little handlebars. And see, God is much more concerned um, with our spiritual house guests than about what you're angry about. We focus on, on how wronged we are, on how much we deserve to be angry. And God's focus is on who's eating dinner at your, the dinner table of your heart every night. You see, he, he can and he will be our defender if we let him. But he, is, he does not want to eat dinner with Satan. He doesn't want that tension. Have you ever had a dinner where there was just crazy amounts of tension? Maybe your family was just not right, or maybe your dad and your mom came over and there was this big fight going on. And in that time, it's just, it, it, is, it is not the time for intimate conversation. Like, you know what I've really been feeling in my heart? It doesn't, that doesn't come out during those times. And God values that intimacy. And he doesn't want that awkward dinner table in your heart at all times. And that's what anger brings into our lives. And he says, let him who steal or who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good that he may have something to give with him who has need. The Holy Spirit's heart absolutely breaks when we decide we need something more than what he has provided. We, when we think about our wants before others' needs, why do you think, why did you think you needed to steal, was his, is, is what the Holy Spirit would say to us. Don't you know that I love you? Don't you know that I'll provide all your needs? It's a relationship breakdown our flesh thinking that it needs to provide for its own needs. And he desires for us to be free from this getting what I need prison. The Holy Spirit, man, he's he's like, I'll take care of you. I'm your father. I'll I'll care for you. I'll give you what you need. And, And stealing and maybe cheating, cheating on our taxes or cheating, whatever, trying to get more. It's a relationship breakdown. You know, it's like, if you listen to rap at all this, these days, the, the common thing is like, I'm out there hustling, right? I'm out there getting what I want. I'm out there getting what I need. I'm working hard to make money. And I'm, of course, saying that in a very white way, but hey, I'm white. Um, but when we trust God to provide exactly what we need, we're free Instead of having to hustle and, and work hard to get our, move our lives ahead, we're free to just focus on a loving relationship with him, on enjoying our father. And so it's a real awesome freedom. And I think people who have been working really hard for a long time in their life, they, they think about that freedom and they're like, man, that'd be nice. It'd be nice to not have to work 80 hours a week, 70 hours a week, or, man, 
It's not, it's not what I want to live for. And this, see, this breaks God's heart. It breaks my heart when I listen to the, you know, those stations and hear the lyrics of these secular songs. And it seems like it's a bunch of people who don't have a father like I do. They can't trust anyone like I can. And they're all alone and they're doing the best they can, but the isolation and the despair in their heart, they cut through in their lyrics like a knife. And they think that they are presenting this outward look of, man, I'm awesome and I'm working hard and look at how rich I am. But in, the, in reality, they're present, the, what cuts through is, is just loss. And it's an orphan crying out and it breaks my heart. And he says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification that it may impart, may impart grace to the hearers. Corrupt words, we could call them rotten words. Words that are not sourced from a, from a pure love for God, but rather a desire to be noticed or recognized. Pride. Pride. Words that, words that lead people to see how good or how self-sufficient they are, as opposed to words that lead people to grace. And this is real important for us to understand. Let's say someone comes up to you and they say, man, I, I have sinned. I'm doing something wrong. And it could be anything. Just make up something. Or they say, man, I'm tired or I'm, I'm burned out. Which have you guys ever had someone come up and say that? Maybe it's just in a passing conversation. Man, I'm so tired. Work is just such a bummer. Or man, I just, I can't, I, I'm not living a life that pleases God. I know that. There's two ways we can handle that. One is by corrupt words, and one is by imparting grace. Here's the, what the corrupt words would say, and I, I bet it's going to surprise you because it doesn't sound bad. The corrupt words say, well, you're not that bad. I mean, you really didn't mean to do it. I bet it was just a difficult situation. So you know what? You should just try a little harder. You can do it. I believe in you. And those words are causing a person to not trust in the Lord, but to trust in their own efforts. And sad. And it's corrupt. It's rotten. And any efforts that come forth from that are going to not bring freedom. Versus saying, bro, that's sin. You, you're actually wrong. But if you humble yourself and you ask for God's help, believing that he will supply your lack and everything you need, you will see victory over the sin and you have access to his grace through humility and faith. That is imparting grace. That is leading. And at the beginning, it sounds harsh because you have to identify the sin. You have to identify that they have a lack, a need, a struggle. But the end of it leads them to get their eyes off of themselves and get their eyes onto Jesus to trust his strength. It imparts grace to the hearers. And my prayer is that our church becomes exceedingly skillful at grace, at leading people to grace, skilled at explaining to the world the difference between their prideful self-efforts and the humble faith that God gives grace to. 
that we have access to that grace. And so, like, one of our commitments to this church, and we're, over the next couple of weeks, you guys are going to hear a lot of the, the vision, the plan that we have moving forward and, and the, the real, um, I guess, course that God has set us on that's very exciting. And so next week, come back and you're going to hear a big announcement about some exciting stuff for the future. But one of them, the big foundation that we have is that we will teach people, we will help people, we will lead people to grace. And we're going to do it through one-on-one discipleship. One-on-one. You meeting with one other person and them teaching you grace, how to, how to see the difference. And then you, after you've learned it, you teaching someone else. And, that, and it's not something that's going to be set in stone, and it's not going to be something that you're going to have to sign up for. It's going to be something that's going to naturally happen in our church. And if you come in, you say, man, I really believe God wants to use me in our church. I'm going to say, find someone to have a Bible study with, and here's the Bible study to have. Let's learn about grace. And that's how the Lord's going to do one-on-one discipleship. And that's how our church is going to move forward. And it's really exciting because we're doing it with people right now. And to see the change in their life is exciting. We're actually seeing God work and move and grow us. And it's really exciting. So I want to make him happy. You know, we're talking about grieving the Holy Spirit. But man, I want our church to please the Holy Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit to be like, all right, we're ready for church at White Flag Calvary. Here we go. This is always exciting for me. I'm always pumped up. Because during worship, man, they just, they lay it all out for me. They don't lie. They don't steal. They don't try to get people to try harder. They just trust me, and it makes me so happy. I I want our church to be like that. I I want my life to be like that where the Holy Spirit is just happy to spend time with me, that I please him. I love that. And then our verse continues on. It says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of of redemption. No, we want to make him happy because he's all in with us. He sealed us. He is all in. He's writing it out with us until the end. No one is committed to you as God is. And so we fall in love with him on this journey of life. Just like Sandra Bullock and Keanu Reeves and Speed. And pretty much every other action movie out there. The hero and the heroine. Even the Lego movie. Good Lord. The construction worker and, and what's her name? Wild Style, which is the fries at In-N-Out. Anyway, they fall in love by the end of the movie. And she was dating Batman. So it happens. As we walk with the Lord through this life and through this crazy bus with a bomb on it, the Lord, we we grow to understand how committed to us he is. He sealed us until the day of redemption. He has sealed us. Spurgeon said, number two, I think I see now the spirit of God grieving when you are sitting down to read a novel and there is your Bible unread. Perhaps you take down some book of travels and you forget that you have got a more precious book of travels in Acts of the Apostles and in the story of your blessed Lord and Master. 
And you have no time for prayer, but the Spirit sees you very active about in worldly things and have many hours to spare for relaxation and amusement. And then he is grieved because he sees that you love worldly things better than you love him. See why I didn't want to say that. I want to just, Spurgeon said that. I didn't say it. Spurgeon said it. No, see, God is in love with you. He, he does not leave you alone. He doesn't abandon you. He's going to pursue you in your darkest times and rescue you. So our daily question is, will we respond to his love? I'm not laying a trip on you saying, don't read a book of travels like Spurgeon is. I'm saying, what do you love? Who do you love? Because the Holy Spirit, man, he's got a good offer on the table. He says, I'll love you. I do love you. If you are you going to respond? Are you going to come and spend the time with me? What if I went on a date with my wife, and after a lovely meal, I walk her to the car, shut the door, and walk away? I say, see ya. I'm out to do my own thing now. Frisbee golf. And she's just left in the car like, uh, what? And maybe, you know, it would be okay, but when I got home and desired the intimacy that I desired, it would not be there waiting for me. It wouldn't. That's just the truth of the situation. Because to have intimacy, to have depth of relationship, you have to have quality time. You have to have just spending time. And so I, I preach every Sunday, yeah, go home and read your Bibles. And I'm not adding a rule onto you. I don't care how long you spend reading. I'm not the one who cares. But the Holy Spirit, he treasures every second. He treasures it. He values it. He loves it. And so I'm just a messenger saying, bro, you got a date. You got to go spend time on your date so that you can get what your heart really desires, that intimacy. And then he says, let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. So we might say, ah, can't I just be a little bit bitter? I mean, they were big jerks to me. Can't I just get upset quickly and then cool off? That's wrath. Can't I just be the guy who buries my wrath deep down inside? That's anger. Clamor is loud complaining. Can't I just give them a piece of my mind and then cool down? Evil speaking is just being mean. Can't I just be a little bit mean every once in a while when I'm in a bad mood? Well, sure, you can. God's going to forgive you if you want to break his heart. If you want to break his heart, you can, you're free to do those things. And you know what? Even if you break his heart, He's going to be there with you. But he might, he just might cause you to remember that time when your heart broke. And you see, you see how that felt? Do you, do you remember how that felt? Or maybe he'll allow you and your wife to get in a little bit of an argument. Or you and your kids just aren't right and, and that emotional pain starts to prick your heart and you remember, ah, this stinks. And he's like, yeah, it does, huh? That's how I'm feeling right now because you just don't care. 
You're, just, you're, you're walking in these ways, and it's breaking my heart. So he might allow just a little bit of that feeling, and it is just a little bit. I know your life seems like it's the worst, but compared to the pain the Holy Spirit feels, it's not. You can endure. You can be healed. So you can go for it, if that's what Jesus means to you. But we will sow what we reap. And we will lose an opportunity to share in the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. And I, I understand that when we forgive people and when we treat them kindly when they're mean to us, that it's a, it's a form of suffering. It's a form of saying, I'm willing to go through something uncomfortable for you, for this person. And it's a bummer, but it, it opens the door for you to be able to know Jesus in a deeper way, for you to be able to understand him in a deeper way. But he gives us another way here. He says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as Christ, God in Christ forgave you. So we've been given this list of things that break God's heart. But the big question is, well then, what do we do with all those jerks around us that bring these desires out in us? And God gives you instruction for that. He's not saying that you're just a wicked person who always does these things. He knows that there's weirdos and goofballs in your life that cause you to feel these things and cause you to get mad and angry. He understands that. And he gives you instruction on that. He says, be kind. Have a soft heart towards them and forgive them. And keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. Get your eyes off your goober of a husband and on to Jesus. When he says be kind, it says think of ways to bless them. Look out for their good. Help them. You say, you're crazy. It, they're a jerk to me. I'm not going to think of a way to bless him. But in Matthew 5, Jesus said, I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you and do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And I doubt your husband is spitefully using, using you or persecuting you. Maybe he is. There's some bad marriages out there. But Jesus said, even then, bless them. Love them. Bless them. How can we do that? He says, get your eyes on Jesus Christ. That's how. Number two, he says, have a soft heart towards them. Don't be hard. But you don't know what they've done to me, how they made me feel. You're right. I don't know. But Jesus does. So get your heart on him. What people have done for you gives us no right to be hard towards them. Jesus says, be kind be soft-hearted. I just don't know how that works. Well, look at me for a little while and you will. Read how I was crucified and killed for you and maybe the Holy Spirit will begin to show you, help you understand that I know what you're going through and I still ask you to be kind and to be soft-hearted, tender-hearted and to forgive them every day Every time, forgive them. What does forgiveness look like? I always keep this in the back of my Bible because I tend to have to reference it a lot. 
is forgiveness and it's four promises of a, of a forgiver. When you say, I want to walk in faith, I want to do what Jesus asked me to do, I want to forgive my goober of a husband or my crazy wife or my horrible friend or my enemy, these are the, this is what Jesus is asking you to do. These four promises. And I wrote them in my Bible because I, I need this. It says, I will not dwell on what you did. Uh, that's number one. Number two, I will not bring it up or use it against you. Number three, I will not gossip about it. I'm not going to talk to other people about it. And number four, I will not let this stand between us. I will not let this stand between us. I'll repeat those just because I know some of you need to hear it. <laughs> I will not dwell on what you did. I will not bring it up or use it against you. I will not gossip about it. I will not let this stand between us. And when you do this, when you decide, all right, I don't feel like it. I do not feel like forgiving. I do not feel like being kind. I do not feel like having a soft heart, but I'm going to God and I'm going to test you, God. I'm going to do what you asked me to do. You make God smile. You make the Holy Spirit rejoice. He rejoices in a life of faith. And in turn, you will be filled with joy. That's how it works. You don't get filled with joy because it, he turns around and learns his lesson. No, you get filled with joy because you were obedient and the Spirit is happy with you. And so he, his joy emanates from inside you. And all of a sudden, you're walking around with joy because you chose to live a life of faith. And I'm telling you guys with the most sincerity and, and, and effort, I made choices in my life to not be angry and to forgive deep wounds. And I can tell you, God does not leave you or forsake you. He, he is there and he makes it worth it. He makes it worth it. It is never a wrong choice to forgive and to be kind and to be tenderhearted. But they're just going to walk all over me again. Yeah, probably, maybe, probably. They might not learn their lesson. But that's not what this is about. This is about you and the Holy Spirit and his smile towards you, what he thinks about you and your communion with him. There's a wonderful old, old, old hymn and says, what peaceful hours I once enjoyed. How sweet their memory still. But they have left an aching void the world can never fill. Return, thou sacred dove. Return, sweet messenger of rest. I hate the sins that made thee mourn and drove thee from my breast. The dearest idol I have known, whatever that idol be, help me now to tear it from its throne and worship only thee. Man, if someone could put that to lyrics or to music and we could sing that, oh, that would be awesome. Work on that. That, that, that song speaks of what it's all about. It is not about you and them and what they've done to you and how they've hurt you. It's not. And you want to know a, a secret? You want to know the truth? It's really popular these days to be angry and bitter about what the church has done to you. And I hear it all the time. I used to get calls on the radio all the time and people come in for counseling 
all the time and they're like, you know what, it's, it's the church and I'm hard and angry and I've been hurt by the church and, and, and all of them have very valid reasons, all of them have very valid complaints. But do you want to know the honest truth about what a pastor hears when he hears that? I'm going to translate pastor talk to you. Blah, blah, blah. I'm hurt with the church. I have my eyes off of Jesus. I still have a long way to grow. I don't yet understand Jesus' love. That's what it's about. Because people, man, they, they get hurt. You're going to get hurt in church. I'm not going to call you or I'm not going to come say hi to you or someone's going to trip you in the aisle and not even care. It's going to happen. Because we all have that old man inside us, that old man that's selfish and doesn't care about you when we're in the parking lot cutting you off. It's the old man. And it's going to happen. But God gives us instruction of how to handle that. Be kind, be tenderhearted, and forgive. And see what the Holy Spirit does. And it goes, it, it works for as something as small as being cut off in the parking lot and something as big as your spouse cheating on you. It works. You follow the Lord and it works. Here's my third quote. And this is the way Spurgeon ended his message on grieving the Holy Spirit. It says, are you in a state of backsliding, backsliding excuse me, declension or coldness? Hearken to me for a moment. And God bless the words, brother. Brother, stay not in a moment in that condition so perilous. Be not easy in a single second in absence of the Holy Ghost. I beseech you, use every means by which the Spirit may be brought back to you. Once more, let me tell you distinctly what, that, what the means are. Search out for the sin that has grieved the Holy Spirit. Give it up. Slay that sin upon the spot. Repent with tears and sighs. Continue in prayer and never rest satisfied until the Holy Ghost comes. That guy knew how to throw it down at church. Man. 1 Corinthians 16.22 says, If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be cursed. Oh Lord, come. Because you are cursed if you don't love God. You're cursed by everything this world can throw at you and everything the church does to bum you out and tick you off. You're living a life of a curse. But when you care more about loving Jesus and forgiving and being tenderhearted and kind than you do about being right or being okay or not being wronged, you'll be blessed. You'll understand that God will come. He says, oh Lord, come. God will come to you. And maybe he doesn't fix the situation, but he will come and he will dine with you and he will commune with you and your heart will not have those handlebars with Satan hanging on saying, hey, what about me? It won't. It will be just you and Jesus and you guys will be cool. You'll have everything your heart desires. You will. And maybe you have not known Jesus, and you don't understand what all this is about, and you don't know him, and you know that he's not living in your heart because you know it's in your heart, and it's a whole bunch of other stuff. 
and none of it is pure and holy and righteous, and, and God himself. And so it's a very clear call to you to say, I need Jesus in my heart. I will believe what he did for me on the cross, that he paid the price for my sin, and that he calls me to live with him and walk with him. And I will turn away from my sin and believe in Jesus in every moment. And I'll follow him. So let's, let's all close our eyes and, and bow our heads in prayer. And if, you're, have, if you have never called upon Jesus to save you today, I, I ask you to do that. I ask you to, in your own words and in your own heart, to call upon the Lord and say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I cannot pay for my own sin. It must be the cross for me and nothing else. And I'll say it again, the Spirit is calling out to each one of us and saying, hey, hey, keep your eyes on me. Keep your eyes on me. I know your life is filled with various trials and all kinds of tribulations, but keep your eyes on me. And as a church, I pray that we would do that, that we would just call out to him, Jesus, Lord, we, we put our eyes on you right now. We trust you and you alone. Lord, forgive us for when we have held on to our bitterness, when we even years in the past and, and parents who failed us and friends who abandoned us, Lord, help us to be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving them. Because, God, we love you. And you have loved us. And in that love, we abide. We remain. We may get angry for a moment, but we will come back and remain in your love and be transformed by your love.